0: All right, we want to take a break now to thank one of our sponsors here. You know, we only like to promote and talk about products that we genuinely love here. And here on the podcast, we love our Bowl & Branch Sheets. Uh, We've had them in our house more than a year. Jill, I know you have as well. Mosh, we are huge fans of Bowl & Branch. And if you don't have Bowl & Branch Sheets already, what are you waiting for? It's a new year, new you, new sheets. And if all of you with your resolutions are working out, trying to eat healthy, give yourself the gift of some soft sheets. It's a New Year's resolution you can achieve. Bowling brand sheets get softer with every wash. We have a few sets here in our house. They're made with 100% organic cotton. They don't have those toxins, those synthetic pesticides, harsh chemicals that many other brands have. So they're especially good if you have sensitive skin. Moche, that's a big issue in my house. The sheets are good for all seasons. They'll be great. They'll keep you cool in the summer. They'll keep you warm in the winter. And right now, we have a special deal going for the Mo News community. On your first order of Bowl & Branch, you can get 15% off. Just head over to com. That is Bowl, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch.com. Use the promo code, what else? Mo News. Keep in mind, exclusions do apply. So see the site for details. Hey, everybody. It is Friday, September 2nd. We are headed into Labor Day weekend. I'm Mo Shwanunu, and you're listening to the Mo News Podcast. This is the place where we bring you just the facts from verified sources and a breakdown of what matters in the news. We read all the news, or at least I try to, and read between the lines so you don't have to. I hope everyone has some fun plans for the weekend, this last weekend of summer. A quick programming note, a little bit of good news, a little bit of bad news. Bad news, I will be on the road for the next two weeks traveling internationally. So this will be my last daily podcast for a couple weeks. I'll be back in full force on September 18th. And of course, if something breaks between now and then, I will try to file an update for you. You can always follow my Instagram account at mosheh, at Mosheh for major news. The good news is I will not leave you empty-handed for these next two weeks. I have some... Really great interviews coming your way, everything uh, from politics to space to journalism to education. So stay tuned for a number of great conversations over the course of the next two weeks. Okay, with that said, there's a lot we're watching today as we head into the long Labor Day weekend. We have some new test scores that show the devastating impact of the COVID shutdowns on the nation's children. I will have some of those results and what they mean. California has passed some of the biggest climate legislation in history as they face record heat this weekend. I'll break down what the fifth largest economy in the world, that's California, is doing in regards to the environment. I'll also tell you what the federal judge decided Thursday when it comes to those papers the Justice Department took from Mar-a-Lago in the search warrant and what Joe Biden said about the state of things last night in his big primetime address. Twitter finally rolled out the edit button on Thursday after 16 years of a bunch of us pleading with them. I'll tell you how that's going to work. And I'll end today with some good news. A new feature, the airlines. I don't know how many of you are listening to this in the airport or on a flight right now. But a new feature, the airlines and the government are rolling out right now to help us find out what we're owed if our flights are delayed or canceled. Yes, some good news when it comes to flying right now. Okay, let's start with those test numbers. Reading scores for elementary school students in the U.S. have plunged to their lowest level since 1990. Math scores also dropped for the first time in history. This is a test that dates back to the 1970s. These new national test results uh, conducted on nine-year-olds, mostly fourth graders, really lay out the extent to which the pandemic devastated learning outcomes for America's students. These are some of the largest declines that have been observed in the 50 years of the NAEP. This is the National Assessment of Educational Progress test. Overall, the test results showed a seven-point drop in math, a five-point drop in reading. The tests were administered from January to March in 2020 and 2022. The decline in outcomes were really starkest for the lowest-performing students. Top-performing students, those in the 90th percentile, showed a three-point drop in math, Compared to the low-performing students, those in the bottom 10th percentile, they experienced a 12-point decline. The big issue here was resources during the pandemic. Millions of kids lived in areas with no reliable internet, computers at home, or places to do their schoolwork. One number that a number of experts are pointing to and are particularly concerned with is that math scores for black students in particular fell 13 points. That's compared to a five-point drop for white students. Educational leaders for years have been trying to close uh, the race gap when it comes to education and test scores, and experts say that this is now a daunting task to help students recover to the levels they had achieved going into 2020. I'm going to link in the show notes to those test results, but this really reinforces some of the things you heard from educational experts going into a COVID and those very long uh, remote schooling that was being done, that this would have a long-term impact. Uh, on kids, these tests again were conducted on fourth graders, uh, but I've heard from a number of you in education, teachers, etc, who've been seeing uh, test drop and score drop and attention drop in students in all age groups. Okay, we've been following the legal drama down in Florida all week. A federal judge signaled on Thursday that she remains open to granting former President Trump's request to appoint an independent arbiter to go through the documents the FBI took during that search warrant in early August. However, Judge Aileen Cannon, she stopped short of making a final decision. She reserved judgment on the question of whether to appoint the so-called special master in the case. She says she will think about it further and issue a written order in due course. What is notable, though, is that the judge did not direct the FBI to stop working with the files. The Justice Department continues to go through those files to determine if there were major secrets out and the potential damage that could have been done if somebody who didn't have security clearance saw what was in some of these documents. We should note that Judge Cannon was appointed by former President Trump in 2020. She did also indicate that she would unseal a more detailed list of the documents the FBI took. Again, there, she's going to take some time to think about it and release that in due course. During the hearing yesterday, she pressed the government to explain what harm could come from appointing a special master. The Justice Department has been very against this. They told the judge that a special master, this independent person, could really slow down their assessment of the risk and damage done to national security by these 300 documents, the judge said that she, if she did appoint a special master, she would do so in a way that would not hinder the security risk assessment or slow it down significantly. It's been more than three weeks since that search. This actually is the first time Trump attorneys were in court. If you remember the search warrant release, the Trump attorneys basically took a back seat there. In this case, the Trump attorneys were arguing before the judge, playing down the gravity of what the Justice Department took. They compared Trump's repeated failure to return the documents or to fully respond to the subpoena as basically equivalent to a quote, overdue library book. Another notable thing we learned yesterday, the Trump lawyers did not back up the former president's claim that everything had been declassified. He's been saying this repeatedly on social media. His lawyers, though, would not go that far in court, which is interesting and does continue to explain the dichotomy between what the former president Trump is saying on social media and what his lawyers are comfortable or can say in court. Remember, in court, there are ramifications if you say something that might not be true. So we will wait and see on what the judge decides. These legal proceedings all came as former President Trump did do a radio interview on Thursday that has gotten a lot of notice where he talked about the January 6th insurrectionists. He told radio host Linda Bell that he's looking into issuing full pardons and a government apology to all the rioters who stormed the U.S. Capitol on January 6th. Trump also said that he's met with some of the January 6th defendants and is helping some of them financially. It's a really stunning contrast to nearly every other Republican and all Democrats who've condemned all the insurrectionists and rioters who invaded the Capitol on January 6th. If you recall, on that day and the day after, a number of the aides to former President Trump in the White House were calling for him to forcefully tell them and uh, to leave the Capitol and condemn them. He eventually released a statement on January 6th, some more on January 7th. He ended up softening some of the language, but was very critical of them at that point. But over the course of the past 18 months now, he's really softened his language. And this is the first time he's speaking openly about pardoning anyone who rioted and invaded the Capitol on January 6, as well as issuing an official apology. By the way, that can only happen since he's a former president. If he ends up getting elected again in 2024, he will have pardon power again and can issue this pardon if he chooses to proceed with it, starting uh, after a potential inauguration in January 2025. This all comes as the current president, Biden, gave a primetime address in Philadelphia. It was all about extremist threats to American democracy. It was a a speech he called uh, an effort to rescue the soul of the nation. Biden used the speech to deliver a warning about what he says is the threat, the existential threat that he says former President Trump and his supporters present to the country coming out of January 6th and going into midterm elections where Republicans are trying to take back the House and Senate. Too much of what's happening in our country today is not normal. Donald Trump and the MAGA Republicans represent an extremism that threatens the very foundations of our republic. Now I want to be very clear, very clear up front. Not every Republican, not even the majority of Republicans are MAGA Republicans. Not every Republican embraces their extreme ideology. I know, because I've been able to work with these mainstream Republicans. But there's no question that the Republican Party today is dominated, driven, and intimidated by Donald Trump and the MAGA Republicans. And that is a threat to this country. It was an unusually strong address for Biden just two months before midterm elections as he tries to make the case to voters of what is at stake at the ballot box. He feels that he needs to be much more aggressive with his rhetoric, uh, as Democrats right now appear to be the underdogs, especially in the U.S. House. Biden did focus in his first year on rhetoric of unity. He avoided even mentioning Trump's name often. He would refer to him as the former guy. That changed tonight and it appears the White House has decided to take a new tactic on here as they get weeks away from the midterm elections. What's notable here is clearly he's trying to respond to what voters say they care about. There's an NBC poll that came out last month that shows that threats to democracy is now up there. It's a major voter concern, along with cost of living and jobs in the economy. So, The rest of democracy is up there about, I believe, according to the NBC poll, 21% of Americans say that is what concerns them most. So clearly, the White House is trying to be responsive here. For their part, Republican leaders swiftly accused Biden of only furthering political divisions after all this talk of unity. Kevin McCarthy, who is the House Republican leader, called on Biden to apologize for what he says is an attack on millions of Americans. I'm not sure that apology is coming anytime soon. Now to the big news on social media that a number of you who use Twitter have been waiting for, I don't know, for like 16 years. Anyone who has used Twitter since 2006 knows it has always been the case that you wrote a tweet, you posted it, and then you dealt with the consequences. There were no takebacks on the timeline. But finally, Twitter announced yesterday, finally, that it has started internal testing of a feature that will allow people to edit tweets after they are sent. This is a feature that we know is available on other social media like Instagram, like Facebook, Twitter has always stood by this, saying they're all about authenticity, and you put out one tweet, and they weren't going to allow you to edit. Now, they've received criticism for that, including from Elon Musk. Remember when he was going to buy the platform? He was calling for this. So they are finally testing this out. They are testing it internally, and then they're going to expand it to a select group of people, including Twitter Blue paid subscribers. Some people pay for Twitter. They're Twitter Blue members, and they will have first access to the edit feature in the coming weeks. The way it'll work as of right now is that it'll allow tweeters to change their tweets a few times within 30 minutes of posting an edited tweet will appear with an icon or a timestamp and label to make clear that it has been modified tapping that icon will then allow viewers to look at a history link which will include all past versions of the tweet so there will be this full transparency idea It's honestly the biggest change for Twitter in years. You probably have to go back to 2017 when they increased the character count from 140 characters to 280 characters. For the last time, they really significantly altered the platform. A reminder here that Twitter is one of the smallest social media companies. Facebook has about 2 billion. Instagram has more than a billion. TikTok is getting there. Twitter has about 240 million daily users. The platform has had challenges in recent years with growth. It was actually one of the things Elon Musk said he would fix about the platform, when he was going to buy it, before he backed out of buying it. That's a whole separate litigation lawsuit happening right now that we've been reporting about. But back to the edit button here, Twitter did say in a statement that we're hoping that the availability of the edit tweet will make tweeting feel more approachable and less stressful, From their words to God's ears, uh, but perhaps, perhaps the edit button was the thing that was missing from growing the platform. So we'll see how this turns out in the coming weeks and months. As we all know on social media, these companies will roll out features. They're meant with the best intentions. We'll see how this thing turns out. Okay, now to the major climate bill out of California. California state lawmakers work late into the night on Wednesday to pass a very aggressive climate legislation package. This is $54 billion in new spending on clean energy, drought resilience, and a bill to stop the planned closure of the state's last nuclear power plant. The bill comes as California and other Western states, as we've been reporting, are in the grip of an intense heat wave, 22-year drought, and California has made a number of moves in the past couple years and past couple months to really ratchet up what they're doing to combat climate change. We told you recently about their plan to phase out all new gas-powered car sales in the state by 2035 in just about 12 and a half years. This bill is a very big deal. California itself is the fifth largest economy in the world. If you took California out of the U.S. and compared it to the world, it'd be right up there with Germany and the U.K., and so it understands its role, and this has been a big thing for the governor and a number of state legislators, is California does have a major role to play here when it comes to combating climate change. California is now committed legislatively to 90% clean electricity by 2035, 95% clean electricity by 2040, and then 100% clean electricity within 20 years, by 2045. And so this is the way the $54 billion will be spent over the next five years. There's $6 billion for electric vehicles, 8 billion to decarbonize the state's electrical grid, which is still, by the way, California is still heavily reliant on natural gas. They're going to spend about $15 billion to improve public transit and over $5 billion for climate and drought resilience programs. What's notable here is that the bill also postpones the closure of the Diablo Canyon nuclear power plant. This has been a very controversial uh, back and forth in California. They voted now to keep the plant open until 2030. Nuclear power has always been controversial in California and around the world, but it is a clean energy source. And so there have been a whole bunch of people who say, if we want to... Be able to get to clean energy we have to utilize nuclear power despite you know going back in the day it became really controversial especially after chernobyl after three mile island some of those incidents in the 80s the other issue in california as we've all been seeing this week is that it has major power grid issues and so this nuclear power plant does make up a significant amount of power to the state which is one of the other reasons they're keeping this open and that's one of the big questions a lot of the critics have when it comes to the climate legislation Is there enough in this bill, and some say no, to upgrade the California power grid to accommodate all these new electrical cars and all of the new things that they want to do and uh, focus on for a new clean future? But will there be enough power for all of this? People have been mocking this week that with the heat wave, there was a call by the California authorities not to charge your electric cars. It's an admission that the Grid is not ready for prime time. They do have a number of years here to get it ready. There is some money in this bill, but uh, critics say that the legislature does need to really focus on spending and giving the power companies the ability, the time and the money to be able to upgrade the grid, to be able to accommodate a reality where in California in just a few years, everyone will have to buy an electric car. All right, let's head abroad here to a couple of stories we've been following out of Ukraine and Russia. A UN inspection team finally entered that nuclear power plant in Zaporizhia in Ukraine on Thursday to safeguard it against catastrophe. We've been following this back and forth uh, with a lot of the concerning rhetoric that's been going on about uh, this nuclear power plant. It's the largest in all of Europe, and it's been right in the middle as fighting continues between the Russian and Ukrainian forces. That fighting has actually prompted the shutdown of one reactor. The delegation arrived Thursday from the International Atomic Energy Agency after months of negotiations to let the experts in and get a look inside the power plant. The agency known as the IAEA says it plans to have continued presence there at the plant going forward. Russia took control of the plant in the spring as they invaded Ukraine. They've been occupying it and basically overseeing All of the Ukrainian employees, Ukrainian engineers who have heroically kept the nuclear power plant going for the last six months. Ukraine alleges that the Russians have been using the nuclear power plant as a shield to launch attacks against the Ukrainians. Then the Russians accuse Ukraine of firing in the area as they try to take back the territory, take back the plant. There's been a lot of accusations traded back and forth. Western observers, though, have said that the Ukrainians have taken a lot of precautions to ensure there's no nuclear disaster and have said that the Russians, to a certain extent, have been uh, playing with fire around the nuclear power plant. Just before the team arrived on Thursday, Russian mortar shelling had led to the shutdown of one of the plant's reactors by its emergency protection system and had damaged a backup power supply line used for in-house needs. Keep in mind that nuclear power plants need power coming in to help keep things cool uh, to ensure no meltdown. So anytime a supply line gets cut to the nuclear power plant, that's always very concerning for the experts. I will keep tabs on this story. It's actually one of the more urgent things. And one of the things I make sure to Google every day is Zaporizhia to ensure that uh, I'm keeping all of you updated on what's going on at that power plant. Let's stay in the region for a second because a suspicious death of a very high level Russian oligarch is creating a lot of headlines. This is a pretty remarkable story. Reveal Moganov, he's the chair of the board of directors of Luke Oil. That's Russia's largest private oil company. The news came out out of the Russian Interfax news agency. This is a, a state news agency on Thursday that Maganov fell from his window at a hospital and died. Coincidentally, it comes months after his company criticized the Russian invasion of Ukraine. He was one of the few Russian oligarchs who was public in his criticism of Vladimir Putin. There wasn't much explanation about this headline, that he fell out of a window to his death. It wasn't clear whether it was a, a quote, accident, a suicide, foul play, just that he fell out of a window. Other Russian state media agencies cited sources reporting that Maganov had been admitted to the hospital with a heart condition, Other Russian state media said that he had been taking antidepressants. It comes amid a number of suspicious deaths in Russia in recent months. There have been about a half dozen business people, senior business people with ties to the Russian energy industry that have all died in apparent suicides or in mysterious ways since the outbreak of the war in Ukraine back in February. None of the deaths have been officially classified as as murders, but they're all in pretty suspicious circumstances, including some where the entire family died. Like I said, Magadov's death has attracted scrutiny here because Lukoil, his company was rare among Russian energy companies that criticized the invasion of Ukraine. They had actually publicly called for a ceasefire early in the war. There's clearly more to the story here, but unfortunately it's in Russia and so it'll be uh, unclear whether we'll be able to learn much more in the coming days, weeks or months. All right, back here at home, we're going to be on the lookout Friday morning for the August jobs number. The monthly jobs data number is always important, but this August report, it'll be out at 8.30 a.m. Eastern time, will be particularly important. The state of the labor market will be key to whether the Federal Reserve continues to hike up interest rates later this month in as aggressive a way as they have been doing. The projection right now, uh, prior to 8.30 a.m. Eastern time, is that job growth in August will have likely slowed from July's pace, but still be quite strong. We'll see how that prediction turns out. Some of the predictions have been accurate this year, some not so much. If the number of hiring is too good, expect the stock market to drop again today. And while that might seem counterintuitive, remember that a hot jobs market means the economy is still hot, and that means the Fed needs to raise interest rates more. So if you see a particularly good hiring number, good jobs number, people getting jobs, unemployment coming down, that will translate in a couple of weeks to the Fed continuing to raise interest rates aggressively. And so while a hot jobs market is good for you and me, it does mean higher wages. It also means there's more cash out there, more people getting paid more, more people able to spend more, which means stores can charge more, which means inflation. So we're living in this environment right now where what's good is bad, what's bad is good. So let's see how this jobs number turns out uh, and what it means for what the Fed does later this month. Okay, finally, as we head into the last busy travel weekend of the summer, several major airlines are promising to deliver better customer service for once. This all comes as the U.S. government, the Department of Transportation, has rolled out a new website that they feel has pressured these airlines into doing more for the rest of us. Yesterday, the DOT officially uh, rolled out this website, I will link to it in the show notes, that allows all of us to see what we're legally entitled to when an airline cancels or delays their flight. The website allows you to compare airlines' customer service policies side by side. Again, I'll link this in the show notes so you can take a look at this. The transportation secretary said there are some things that airlines must do as required by law, like refunding airfares for canceled flights, but there are also things that some airlines ought to do for passengers when flights are significantly delayed or canceled, like paying for meals, overnight accommodations. Right now, some airlines do some of those things. Some do not. What this website allows you to do is effectively see Who is better at certain policies than others? It'll allow you to compare the top 10 airlines. Right now, what's notable is the airlines knew this was coming, so it appears to have pressured some of them to have upped their customer service agreements. Right now, according to the website, American, Delta, JetBlue, and United have agreed to all 10 of the customer service commitments that the government suggested they do. Hawaiian Airlines has agreed to nine of the commitments. Alaska and Southwest have agreed to eight of the commitments. And then there's one that hasn't agreed to any of them that's Allegiant. Uh, That's the only airline in the top 10 that hasn't agreed to any of the uh, transportation department suggested commitments. It has been a really tough summer. Uh, I've heard from many of you, I've experienced it myself, that uh, the delays, the cancellations. Since Memorial Day, according to FlightAware.com, airlines have canceled more than 50,000 flights while half a million flights have been delayed. So I will link to this website in the show notes. This is a case where the airlines basically beg the government to regulate them. So one airline didn't feel that they had to provide something that another didn't. So here you have the government stepping in saying, this is what we think you should all do. And you have a number of airlines uh, that I mentioned that have committed to most or all of the suggested things they should be doing for customers when cancellations and delays happen. I'm wishing all of you luck this weekend. If you are flying, if you are driving, if you're taking any sort of transportation, I hope everyone has a great one. I want to thank all of you for listening to the Mo News Daily Podcast. Again, as I said at the top, I'll be traveling for the next two weeks. So we will not have a daily news feed on the podcast on IG. I will keep you intermittently up to date on major headlines. But on this podcast feed stay tuned. I will have a number of great interviews coming your way from the world of politics, travel, uh, education, documentaries, uh, a whole bunch of exciting interviews. So I think you'll really enjoy them over the next two weeks. I will be back in the saddle daily on September 18th. I'd love your feedback on how I'm doing, how we're doing, suggestions for the show. Email me, podcast at mo.news. Also a reminder to subscribe to my newsletter, the Mo News newsletter over at monews.bolton.com. Follow me on Instagram at Moshe at M-O-S-H-E-H. And don't forget to follow or subscribe to the show on whatever app you listen to us on and review us in the app store. Every review makes a difference and helps us continue to grow the podcast. I'll see everyone back here very soon.